and welcome to another two-thirds episode of Retrovaniacs. As always, I'm Jeremy Parmentier here with Jeremy Gregory. Hey, guys. And unfortunately, Billy will not be here this episode, uh, which is a shame, because I know the game we're going to cover this week, Skater Die 2 for the Nintendo is one he holds near and dear to his heart. I'm sure we'll hear all about it whenever he is back. But I'm not even going to ask what you've been playing, because all I've touched is Sekiro, the new From Software game. Have you? I, I know you bought it, and you didn't seem like you were that into it. Have you changed your mind on it? I... No. <laughs> and I feel so bad about that because it's mainly my fault. Like, I, I know you're going to talk about it in, in detail, uh, but I'm just going to get get this right out of the way. Uh, it's not a game for me. And but the, I still think that this is a really well-made, great game. Uh, but I'm just not having fun with it because it's not the game that I thought it would be. I I it's kind of it's it's my fault because about two or three years ago I stopped reading previews for games that I knew that I was going to buy from publishers that I was like okay you know obviously this this publisher put out a new game I'm going to get it because I'm a huge fan um, and from software is that publisher for me so I didn't read anything about this game and you know they've been doing Dark Souls since Demon Souls basically that's the game that they've been doing for quite a while and I just figured Sekiro was was going to be that game again. It was going to be this year's Dark Souls game. Uh, it turns out it is not that. It is not that at all. It is uh, more of a, a modern Tenchu game with some really, really hard bosses and a completely different battle system. Uh, there's just so many things that isn't a, a Souls game in this game. But it's got, you know, it's still got that From Software feel to it that you're playing as From Software game. But unfortunately, it's just not the kind of game for me. I mean, I've heard that complaint from people like, oh, this isn't a Souls game. It's its its own game. It's more like a, a Ninja Gaiden or, or something faster, Tenshu. I, I mean, as someone who didn't spend a lot of time on Tenshu, I, I can't say, oh, this is a lot less like Tenshu. But it is a, a more stealth-based, but still very much from software, Dark Souls style of game. The world is built the same. You start at essentially a hub zone. I mean, you have an intro after the intro. You start at a hub zone that you use that builds out. You find instead of bonfires, it's like Buddha statues that let you, you know, save your area. When you go back to those statues and rest, you get all your health items, which in this case is a is a jug or whatever. It's not a uh, it's not a flask, but it's the same idea. I mean, it feels very much like a Souls game, but unlike the Souls game, I think the biggest difference for me is you're not building a character. You don't have classes to deal with, so the, the gameplay styles can't drastically change. You know, there's you can play a Souls game and, and be a caster and just do nothing but fire spells and have a few things to help otherwise. Or you could go full on sword and shield. This game, no, you're you're a you're a, a, a shinobi ninja. That's all you are. You can't drastically change anything. They have some things you can do to to tweak your your gameplay, different um Abilities you can add to your your cybernetic arm, essentially, um, that that make it so you you have a few different options, but it still doesn't drastically change your game. You can't use them nonstop. They have a, a built-in limiter on how often you can use those techniques, and a lot of bosses are immune to most of those techniques. So really, it is it's a lot more about learning the enemy's physical combat. So I guess if you like, I always played every Souls game as a sword and shield. Uh, the first time through. I'll, I'll switch it up later and I'll get other spells, but I always start as Sword and Shield, so for me, I think it's very similar in in how I had to play them. Uh, a lot of the exploration sections, yeah, there's some deadly monsters, but generally, I could get through to the next boss fairly easily, 
you find out where the next boss is the first time you fight them they destroy you in two hits you got to figure out what how to how to av- avoid those maneuvers or how to dodge them or how to block them or combo them uh, or encounter them this is playing exactly the same for me so did you always do a very caster heavy souls game no, I actually did like, you know, I, I was mostly like a, a heavy weapon kind of guy, axe or something like that. But generally, like the the thing that I did not like about any of the Souls games and the way that I just could not stand to play, even Bloodborne uh, to a degree, was when the game wanted you to parry something. And like I'm totally fine with just laying into a, an enemy or something like that and just, you know, tossing damage at him. But the the instant that the game wanted me to be like super timing heavy, which is something that I am not good at at all, um, it wanted me to parry an attack or something like that. That's where I just everything just went downhill for me, and I never played that kind of character where parrying was a big deal in the Souls games. Uh, even in Bloodborne, you can sort of parry with your you know shoot your gun at the right time, you stun an enemy, and that's kind of what this game wants you to do all the time is parry. Uh, you know, you do you can attack and, and things like that, but but it seems like the the way you do the most damage to everything, especially bosses, is like you have to actually time this parry whenever they're about to hit you. And it isn't just like hold the button down when they're swinging. It is like you have to hit it right before they hit you. And that is not an easy thing for me. I've never been good at that in video games. And that's what this game is is based around as far as like progressing that's what you need to do now there are some enemies where you can definitely just wail at them uh and and break their um their stance meter which is where you get to the point where you can um they get a big red dot around them and that's where the game you press the button again and you do a a super heavy attack and it does a ton of damage and that's what the game wants you to do with most things especially bosses uh but you know, just regular enemies. Sure, I can I can just wail on them and kill them. But any time that the parry comes into into play, I'm just not good, and that's like ninety percent of this game. I agree that very beginning, especially the bosses are very much parry at the right time, um, and and it's also much like a Souls game. When you miss that, you take not normally an instant kill, but it might as well be. Uh, healing still takes time to go back and get out of the way. Uh, the way you're supposed to play this game, based on everything I've I've learned, but also things I've read, is you got to be very aggressive. You really can't you can't sit back and dance around and do a few hits when you can, like in Dark Souls, because you've got to get for a lot of these bosses. It's not just getting their health down, uh, which is ultimately the goal, but they have a posture meter that every time you attack them, and even when they block, it builds up this meter. And eventually, if the meter gets full, you can do what's essentially an instant one hit kill. And the, the goal is to keep that posture meter high, but if you don't constantly attack them, the posture meter will slowly go down, uh, especially if they have a, a maneuver like a like a guard maneuver, and that lets them fully get their posture back fairly quickly. So you can't give them a chance to do it. You can't let up. But it also means that if your play style on a Souls game was more cautious, that yes, there are many fights on here that are going to take you five to six times longer than it would if you were very aggressive. Um you know, I, I can see the complaints. I can see why someone who wanted Dark Souls 4 would not like this game. But I'm just surprised at the number of people who, who are in, kind of in the same boat you are, where they, they love those kind of games, but for some reason this just didn't click with them. Yeah, and, and I, I feel bad because I really want to like this. I mean, I love like getting around, using the grappling hook and everything like that is so much fun. Uh, you know, you, it's completely different traversal compared to like Dark Souls where you're just a truck, you know, moving along this path. Um in Sekiro, you know, everything's kind of open and it gives you tons of different points to, to use your grappling hook to swing around and get behind enemies. And that's great. I love that. 
uh, if it if it was maybe more of that, then I think I would probably play the game a lot longer. Uh, but it's it gets to the point where it's like all, there's all that and learning the environments and and getting around these different enemies that aren't too too bad, but then you hit a solid block of difficulty anytime you get to one of those even just the mini bosses sometimes, but the bosses themselves are just they are gonna rip you apart. And unlike Souls, it seems like there's only one way to really deal with them, and that is using the parry. And and maybe there's another way that I haven't found, but it seems like that's what it wants you to do because they have multiple health bars, and really about the only way to take them down is to use that parry to to take each each full health bar down once you do that heavy attack. Yeah, I I mean, I like it. I can see why you don't. I believe Billy's been playing it on the few minutes he has to play anything. But you know what? People didn't turn into this podcast to hear about... Sekiro, because you can hear about that everywhere, and I'm sure I'm saying it wrong every time. But instead, they came to hear about Skater Die 2, the search for double trouble for the Nintendo. guys <laughs> uh no i i think they're much more excited about this than than uh what could have been told everywhere else probably better uh before we talk about the game itself the music that i just played is the intro to the game you turn the game on and that's the start screen and uh that's surprising it was very surprising to me when i turned it on <laughs> it was an immediate like uh perhaps we picked the bad game this is an irritating song to start with uh but but you were saying that everywhere people were very impressed with the ability to have speech in it but also that guitar sound uh i mean I guess I see that. <laughs> I mean, it, that was like an achievement back on the NES back then uh, to have like, and you know, sort of lyrics. You know, there's this guy just just skate, or you know, that was a big deal. And, and then like the uh, the actual instrument that sounded like it was playing. That that was people still talk about that as far as like what they remember about this game. And there's probably a very good reason as to why this is the only thing people remember about this game because it is uh, uh, nothing really much more impressive than that. Impressive, probably not, but memorable. There's certainly memorable things that happened in Skater Die 2. Uh, I'm assuming if you've listened to this, you probably played Skater Die 1. It was on everybody I know that had a Nintendo had this game. It originally was out on on computers as well, so I guess if you had a Commodore 64 and played it, uh, hooray. But it, you know, everyone here in in the U.S. probably played this on the NES. I mean, wh- how would you not want to play a skateboarding game where every you know people have green mohawks uh it's two player it's a series of events more like an olympics kind of game instead of a, a straightforward game like this one appears to be uh i mean you you must have played skate or die a million times right oh yeah like i that was one of my favorite uh, games as a kid i mean uh, we've even got a, a video video review of it on, on the retrovania youtube channel that i did several years ago uh, it was just one of those games that seemed like i always had as a kid and no matter where i went Everyone had skate or die as well. It was just the default game to play if someone didn't have turtles or, or something like that. Um, but it was guaranteed that everyone had skate or die for some reason. And I mean, there's if you've ever played skate or die, you know, there's really not much to it. It's just like what five, five or six different events that you can beat in like under a minute. And that's the entire game. Basically, it is it is just straight up skating events. 
uh, like half pipe or, or racing some dude down an alley. Uh, just very basic things like that. But back then it was, I mean, that was cool. I mean, there really wasn't another skating game like it. And it was, you know, if you got, if you played it enough, like everyone did, you got pretty good at it. Well, it was two-player co-op, or I mean co-op, a two-player versus. So it was, yeah, they're short, but if you had, you know, four or five friends over, that's an easy game to just keep swapping controllers and play each other and kind of make your own tournaments out of. Uh, you know, you're going to play a, a double dribble that way. That's hours. But this, bam, an hour, and everyone's played like six times. I mean, that's, it was kind of a, a perfect sort of game. That said, playing it now, I don't know if you played any before this podcast, I did get bored with it fairly quickly uh, because, again, I was by myself, and it was never the kind of game that was super fun on your own. Um that game came out in 1988 for the NES. Uh, only in the North America and Europe, it actually was never put out in Japan. I looked into that to see why not. I guess skateboarding wasn't huge in Japan. I mean, I, I think it had a, a core following, but I guess uh, just it was not as popular in the, at the in the late 80s, early 90s in Japan as it was here. I, I'm not sure. Uh, but then Skater Die 2 came out two years later, and I was super excited for it. I mean, the, the game is called The Search for Double Trouble. On the back of the box, it showed this, like, double ramp with a ramp in the middle, like this really cool-looking ramp setup. That's the whole point of the game is to, to build this ramp. But you can also play it right from the beginning. So if you don't want to play anything else but just skateboarding on a, on a ramp set, when you first turn the game on, it says, push select, bam, you're right there. And you can, you can do tricks all day. You can do whatever you want. It's in, like, a three-minute score thing. It, and it's... It's fun, it's great, and it's what I expected from a game, from this game from the get-go. But that's not the game that you got for most of the game, because uh, if you push start, you start a story. Uh, the story of this game, the more I thought about it, the more kind of messed up the story is. Uh, the, the idea is that the mayor's wife is walking her dog one day, and you accidentally, due to kind of an altercation with somebody else, run over and kill her dog, which makes her very upset, so she complains to the mayor, who of course makes skateboarding illegal. So you're, you're, the first level is, you know, I thought it was going to be going out to try to convince people skateboarding isn't so bad, or maybe just, just trying to escape police officers, but no. Instead, in the first level of this game, uh, the mission for the first level is to go out, find the mayor's wife, and beat her up with eggs and paint. <laughs> just, this game is ridiculous on, on so many levels, I, and it really likes the story that it's telling, because it spends a lot of time on these little cinematics. Uh, you know, even animating them sometimes like it, it's it's just amazing that this is the story for this game. Like you literally kill a dog and to show her you're going to beat the shit out of her. And for some reason, reason she's in a sewer. But, you know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it's just such a, a crazy start to the game. And I think a lot of people remember that as well. Uh, it, tons of, of memes and stuff like that growing up. But I, I didn't actually know this game existed until I saw those memes. I was like, what the hell is this? Skate or Die 2? Like, I never saw this as a kid. Oh, I had this. We owned this game. Uh, I never got past... There's four levels, and I never got past level three, and we'll get into those, because they're all different enough that uh, I don't usually like to go level by level. We've done it in the past, um, but normally I find that, that it gets kind of boring, or you know, we say, oh, level three is just like level two, except there's a special hat. But this is... Every level's different, uh, and in some way notable, uh, most of the time for bad reasons. Uh, so the first level, as we mentioned, you're, you're driving through the city. Or not driving, you're skateboarding through the city. Uh, the controls for this game, because it is a Nintendo game, you only have two buttons. Uh, the A button jumps, and the B button is your action button. Uh, if you just push B once, you'll do a default action of shooting paint forward. And if you hold up, down, or towards and push B, it uses three special moves. You can actually change what the, mo the moves do in the pause screen. 
uh, pause screen when you pull it up. It lets you pick what moves you want, but it also shows you, you know, how many paint shots you have or you get eggs to throw. Uh, I believe there's cans or something you throw as well. Uh, I didn't use anything but eggs and paint, uh, and I'll get into that too. But basically, you can also learn skateboarding moves and make those. So to do a special move when you're in the street, like if you want to do a, a kickflip or whatever, you have to hold up and hit B. Uh, what makes that difficult is you have to earn the moves. I think you only start with the duck maneuver. Uh, everything else you have to find and buy. And I didn't realize until this playthrough how to buy new moves. So <laughs> I've never used any of the moves in this game. I think there's six or seven uh, that actually are useful as attacks and other things as well. I never bought any of these moves. Did you Did you actually buy any of the other skateboarding moves? Well, no. <laughs> I'm kind of like you. I didn't realize it until uh, I, I played it twice just to kind of see if I was missing something and there are actually two vendors on that first stage um the first one is uh is that Rodney or who's who's the two vendors uh well Rodney is the skateboard owner yes um, okay he is the one you run owner. into uh and you well you run into him but you also run into his son yes. Lester and, yeah, Lester and I didn't know Lester you. existed well not uh, just that as you're going through the level there are all these other skateboarders Yes. So, yes, once you know what to look for, you can tell that that's Lester and that's uh, the other guy. Point is, you, I didn't know that first that's who they were. I thought they were just other skateboarders and they would hurt me if I ran into them or anything else. So I was avoiding all the other skateboarders. So yeah, I and I, I accidentally first... ran into Rodney. at the. I was like, oh, okay, here's the store. And, and that's you know what you can use to, to upgrade your board. Um, but as far as moves, I didn't actually know he was there. I know Rodney does mention it whenever you start. He's like, look out for uh, Lester, you know, my kid. He'll, he'll teach you some new moves. But I never knew which one it was because they all kind of look the same. For a city that has banned skateboarding, there is more than enough skateboarding going on in this one alley. Like, it is just dozens of people skateboarding. Only and, people skateboarding. There's nothing else but other Yeah, there's nothing else happening but skateboarding. And so, like, and they all look the same, so I wasn't really trying to, to run into various ones. There's not like there's an icon over their head showing that they sell something. No, they just kind of look the exact same. They just kind of different colored hair, and, and that's it. Well, and, and to move in this game, I mean, obviously the D-pad moves you around, but in order to go faster on your skateboard, instead of holding a direction, you have to constantly push that direction, like tap it. And depending on what skateboard you have, because that's what Rodney sells you is different upgraded skateboards, you can only go so fast. Again, totally avoided them for as a kid playing this game. Uh, this time I was like, oh, perhaps I should use some of these things I'm finding all over the ground to buy new boards and moves and everything else. Uh, I guess that's why I never got past level three, because I never had a fast enough skateboard. Uh, but, but it picks up pretty quickly. When you get a faster board, it's almost like instead of going you know, two spots faster, you can go four spots faster. I mean, it, it makes a huge difference in how fast you go, how high you can jump, uh, and that affects, of course, what the use of your tricks are. Uh, doing a, a kickflip is great when you can fly 10 feet in the air, but when you can't, it's not that extremely useful as a weapon. So, uh, the, the all over the street on the way to find the mayor's wife, because the first mission is basically find the mayor's wife and attack her. Uh, she is hidden in a warehouse, but you have to go through all these other warehouses to find her. I didn't know uh, that you could go in the sewers. I thought the sewers were just holes you'd fall into and die. Uh, so then when I was trying to kill myself out of frustration, I went into the sewer, and it's a whole other set of maps uh, that give you a lot of power-ups. But the, the power-ups in this game, uh, other than paint, which you pick up, and eggs that you pick up, uh, you will get CDs, tacos, and cassette tapes. And that is your money in this game. You never find just actual money, just CDs, tacos, and cassette tapes. <laughs> I just like real life. I mean, that's that's what I use. Don't know what you're doing. 
but yeah, it's <laughs> I, when you when I I didn't actually read the instructions whenever I started this, so I was I went in completely blind, and the first thing I thought of when this thing started, I was like, how is this possible to play? Like this is literally unplayable, because whenever you do start playing and start controlling your character, this isn't like a platform game where you press forward, like you said, you don't just go forward at the top speed. It takes like your inertia to get going and it takes so long to get going. And if you want to go back, you have to press the back button. You have to come to a slow stop and then you have to get going again backwards. And it's just so impossible on that first stage. If you don't know what you're doing and don't know what to buy that, it, it just seems like the game is absolutely just unplayable. Now, I don't know if you had that same experience the first time you played it, but I did figure out once ever once I started collecting my tacos and my cassette tapes and then accidentally found Rodney that that gets a lot better uh, getting a better board and things like that. Uh, but yeah, at first, like I didn't even know what was going on. Like the game just does not tell you at all what you need to do uh, as far as like exploring. It's just like, here's this big alley. You could drop down into sewers. I did that by accident, too. I was like, oh, shit. Um, because I couldn't turn around fast enough. Uh, there's all these other places that you can, like the warehouses that you can go into that have like monsters for some reason. It's just, I, I just couldn't figure <laughs> figure it out. I actually, I had to go look at a video to figure this one out. Well, it, it, getting the better board makes a massive difference. Like I said, it makes you go faster, makes you jump higher. The warehouses are a great example. When you go into the warehouse, you like go into this little pit area where they normally are power-ups or whatever. But if you don't have an upgraded board, you can't jump out of there. You have to basically run, drive into the wall fast enough to do damage, which causes you to respawn at the front of the level, uh, and you take damage. You have a health bar in this, thankfully. Um, it's it's it just yeah, what, 16 maybe, 16 dots uh, that is your health bar. Uh, and, and as you drive into things, you take damage. Skateboarders will throw things at you. Uh, there are dogs and mice and things that come out. Uh, for some reason, there's some sort of lizard man in, in the sewer. Uh, all those things will do a little bit of damage to you, but really you can avoid almost all of it. The, the most damage I did to myself in almost every level was driving into things. Uh, driving into, into the wall by accident or sand or whatever terrible thing was in the way. Uh, I would drive into it and you take two damage. Uh, there are th some items that heal you. Uh, there are pick they look like heads. I thought they were extra lives, but they actually are health. And they do refill, I think, half of your health bar. They're, they're very useful. But that said, yeah, maneuvering is really what the first level is going to teach you how to do, is, is to make sure, one, that you buy an upgrade, at least one board upgrade, uh, but then also how to maneuver. Um, you, you get these, these pickups, you trade them in for better bo boards and moves. Great and all. The whole point, though, is to find a warehouse towards the end of the level. You go in. There's the mayor's wife. She's sitting at the bottom of the level. You have to go down there, and she throws cats at you. <laughs> and all you're supposed to, and, and I think uh, she throws some things on the ground. I'm not even sure what those things are supposed to be. And, and you're supposed to then find a way to, to move around on this kind of awkward skateboard, consistently hit her with paint or eggs or explosives because you get, like, dynamite as well. Uh, you only have so many of those other ends, but you have enough paint uh, that you can basically just stand in the right area, keep shooting her with paint, you'll take some damage, but you'll do more to her than she does to you. And then, much like you'd expect, she explodes and her head falls onto her feet. And that's the end of the first level. If you... <laughs> That'll teach you to be outside with your dog. Yeah, you, you've killed the mayor's wife to get even for you killing her dog, which makes total sense. Uh, <laughs> and then, you know, the, the story continues. Uh, after the first level, you, you now have decided you, you want to to find a way to build a special skate ramp. Since you can't skate in the streets anymore, you have to build a big ramp. That's the double trouble you're talking about. So you need to find money to, to start progress on building this, getting the plans made, whatever it takes. So you get a job at the mall. 
And this was the level that I, I remember as, as when I had this before that I thought was kind of cool. But playing it now, one, if you didn't upgrade your board, this level is essentially impossible. Um, but if you do upgrade your board, you're driving around a mall. It's two stories. Uh, some of the stores have some incredible names. Um, I, I have some written down here. Some are not that funny. They're just kind of, you know, plays on other names of, of stores around at the time. So there's Marstrom's and B. Walton Booksellers. Uh, but my favorite store, hands down, Frisky Yogurt. Uh, I would never <laughs> eat at Frisky Yogurt. That's actually one of the most disgusting sounding places ever. One, I hate yogurt, but Frisky Yogurt itself uh, kind of gross. But your job is to drive through this mall. You go to a store. You'll get a delivery to take to another store where they give you a new delivery to take to another store. You have to do, uh, I think, 12 or 13 deliveries. Uh, I wrote it down. I should probably actually just look at those notes. 12 deliveries to the stores. You have a two-minute timer. I don't know why the game does this, and a lot of Nintendo games did this. You have a two-minute timer. The idea is you're delivering things in a mall. So actual human time makes sense in this setting, but for whatever reason, it's about half a second for each second. So really, you have under a minute to go from one store in the mall to the other store. Um, you have to make sure you know the layout of the mall. And then while you're doing that, you're dodging other skateboarders who are attacking you for no reason, a security guard who will run into you and send you to a random point in the mall. Not a random point, but a, uh, like an elevator, which is the opposite ends of the, the map. Or they're shoppers, and you'll drive into shoppers, and you'll knock all their presents out of their hands. And it's funny, but you take a lot of damage. So everything here is doing damage to you, along with accidentally driving into a, a barrier while you're trying to race to these other stores to do deliveries. And it takes a while to learn the layout. I don't know if you had a lot of problems with the layout here. I didn't, but I, again, I had this as a kid, so I kind of somehow remembered it. I, I had to actually, it took me a few times, because these aren't just like short stretches uh, of the mall. You've got two different levels. And there's like, what, a dozen or more stores on each level. Uh, so there's a there's a good amount of stores you actually have to memorize as to where they are. And, uh, you know, you don't have any time to explore, really. If you don't know exactly where you're going to go after each delivery to get to the next one, you're probably going to run out of time. Well, and, and if you run out of time, you get to the store, you don't get a bonus. If you are in time, the guy's like, great, thanks for that. Here's some, you know, here's some paint for you or whatever, you know, some items that will help you. But if you're late, he's just like, hey, you're late. Try better next time. And it gives you another delivery. It lets you do all 12 deliveries. But I want to say if only if three of them are late, you cannot finish the level. You finish the 12 deliveries yeah. and the guys are like, hey, you did a terrible job and game over. You start the level again. This game does, uh, you only have one life, but you have a life bar, but you have unlimited continues uh, that continues start you at the beginning of each level. So, yeah, you've only lost maybe, what, seven, eight minutes of your life if you go through all 12 deliveries and, and don't, don't, uh, don't get at least most of them in time. But still, the fact that it doesn't even warn you, like, hey, if you get three of these on time, you lose. Or after the third one, it says, hey, mission over, you're too slow. That would have been nice. But instead, you go through all these deliveries, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, you didn't go fast enough. Sorry about that. Game over. Start again. Uh, yeah, that was yeah. <laughs> That was horrible because I thought, well, you know, maybe it's just uh, being forgiving or something. You know, I'm, I obviously ran out of time, and then it's just like, nah, dude, nah, <laughs> you, you failed. Yeah, do it again, bro. Like, oh. Yeah. Uh. So, uh, assuming... You did all those deliveries on time. You finished your 12th delivery. Great. That's the end of the mall level. That was probably my favorite level of the game, despite that it's also the most boring, uh, because it's also the, the, a pretty straightforward level. Uh, you, you, you know what you're doing. You know how a mall is laid out, unless you've never left your house. It's, it's very cut and dry. And that's, that's great, because level three, which is the beach, is the level I was stuck at as a kid, and I only got through it this time because of this podcast. If I was playing this for fun, this is where I would have quit, because this is the least fun level in any video game that I think we've covered. It is 
it is another level like the first level where it's, you know, a side-scrolling level overall, but you're supposed to be picking up 16 pieces of paper because the, the previous cinematic was that you had the plans made for your cool skateboard ramp, and somehow you blew them out of the window by accidentally turning on a fan. Uh, and so now you have to race around the beach picking up the pieces of your plans. The beach itself is windy, and, and you only can tell that because there's little flags you can see, and they sometimes blow. But also, only the pieces of paper that you're trying to get will then blow in the wind and go further down the track. Unfortunately, that means when they stop sometimes, they are completely in areas of sand that are inaccessible. So you have to make sure, one, you can wait in one area long enough for the wind to pick up again to, to go get the piece of paper. But also, if you miss that, if you get right up next to a piece of paper and the wind starts, it could blow it into the sand. And then you got to stand around and wait while you dodge the, the people that are going to hurt you in this level, which is bodybuilders that don't move, but they are unfortunately in terrible spots, uh, rollerbladers who drive into you constantly, birds, seagulls that come in and fly in your face uh, over and over again, and all these things do about two to three points of damage. And the only thing that heals you in this level, the only thing is picking up a piece of paper will give you back one of your life points. So if you're not able to pick up pieces of paper fast enough to re, you know, get your life back if you're getting hit by birds and other junk, then... You're not going to make it to get all 16 pieces of paper. You die. You get to start over again at the very start of the level with no pieces of paper. This is the least fun level of any game I can think we've played. I think we've spoke before about like levels that developers just seems like they hate the people that are playing the game. And this totally seems just like one of those levels because it's misery. I don't know how anyone actually played this or made it and thought that this would be fun for anyone. Because it's not, it's just absolutely almost impossible. You have very little room to maneuver your skateboard around, which isn't the most maneuverable thing in the world in the first place. And so you, you just have this very tiny area uh, between the sand pits and, or the sand and, and everything else that's littering the screen and coming at you and trying to follow that little piece of paper around. I, I can't tell you how disheartening it was to see it moving and being like, don't land in the sand. Please don't land in the sand. And it would land in that fucking sand. And it was just, it was just crushing, soul crushing. Uh, sometimes I would just get mad and just try to get, get the piece of paper anyway and go into the sand. But it, it's a bit depending, depending on where it lands in the sand, it's almost impossible to pick up and you just have to wait. But yeah, I, I, that, that level is it, – it, it, it'll crush you. It, it can cr make somebody play – if you want to hate – if you hate somebody – and you want them to hate you, sit them down and make them play stage three of Skater Die, too. Well, and if you didn't upgrade your board, if you didn't realize you were supposed to or whatever, uh, you're going too slow to, to actually avoid some of these things or to make some jumps you need to make to be effective at this level. So you're slowly crawling through a level, and there are definitely spots that it's designed on purpose. So not only does it blow into the sand for one cycle of wind, it might be in that same pile of sand or the same area of sand for two full cycles and it's not consistent i don't think it's every 30 seconds i don't even know if it's every minute so what i ended up doing was just going all the way through the level getting all the pieces i could and i'd get 13 or whatever and then it stops and you can go back through the level the other direction and then i i did get the other pieces uh i i finally finished it this time i didn't even do any ridiculous save stating i i just kept continuing that level till i got through it but i did beat this level which is great because it's the first time I've done so and I felt good you get the 16th piece of paper and great you can now build your ramp but of course the, you know the the evil skateboarding gang because there has to be one of those uh, kidnaps your your friend and the plans and the building permit and takes them to a warehouse I'd never gotten to the warehouse before 
And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, Jeremy, this game, you know, it's it's got kind of awkward controls. It is it is a series of things where you have you know you have, you have a mission that's more straightforward action. Then you got a, a mission in a mall. Then you've got this mission on the beach that's terrible. What's this game missing? And the answer is a terrible maze level. And this terrible maze level is massive. This is one. This has to be like the worst maze in a game next to like Gex. But at least Gex was a secret level maze. This is like you have to you have to go through this to beat the game, and if you made it past the last level or the level three, and you want to make it past this one, then you've already hit max depression because once you once you step into this one and realize what it's doing because I didn't at first I didn't understand that this was a maze, I thought it was just you know find the next elevator go up find the next elevator go up but no there's actually like something you have to do through this maze to find. Well, not just do you have to find the plan or the, the building permit, which they do tell you. I managed to not listen to that, that piece of information, but you have to find the building permit and then save your friend. Uh, it's, it's a four-story warehouse. You have to go not just, you know, I, I was doing the same thing you do where I thought, okay, I've, I've, I've gone through this warehouse. I found the elevator up. You're great. Well, you get to the top floor and all of a sudden you realize there's now elevators down. And if you actually were being very careful and mapping it out, you'd realize there were multiple up and down elevators. And the only way to get through this is to literally go up to level four, down to level one, up to level four, down to level one, uh, several times in the right order, finding the right elevators uh, to get the permit, and then go fight. The only second other per- you know mandatory fight in the game is against the evil, the evil skateboarding boss Ice Pick, the leader of the evil skateboarding gang, to save CJ, who's your friend. And that fight, all you can do is shoot paint. And jump over him. That's the only thing you can do that does any damage to him. Uh, you have all these other skateboard moves. Maybe some of those are more impressive. But basically, uh, you get to the last boss. You find a place to stand. You realize you can shoot a couple times before he hits you. You can learn you can jump over him. Great. He's a very simple boss. However, you get to him, you've had to have gone through all this maze. The maze is filled with other skateboarders who are constantly shooting paint at you. Uh, you're, you're probably taking a good deal of damage. So you get to this boss finally. And you may only have three or four life points. So he hits you two times, you're done. Start back at the very beginning of the maze. Hopefully you wrote down the path through the maze. Otherwise, you got to relearn it on the fly, which is irritating. If you get to the top and you kill Ice Pick, or I guess knock Ice Pick out, uh, and save CJ, but you don't have the permit because you didn't read the cinematic that tells you to get the permit, you then have to go back through the maze. You don't have to refight Ice Pick, but at least you, you start right at Ice Pick, and now you have to wander through this maze to find this permit before the level will end which is what happened to me. I got all the way to the end. I, I, I figured out how to beat Ice Pick. I beat Ice Pick. I felt really good. And then she's like, oh, you don't have the permit. We'll go find it. I'm like, oh, my God. So I had to go back and wander because I didn't map to get to him the first time. I just got lucky and got to him. So I had to wander through this maze. I wandered through the maze for easily two hours of time and did not find this permit. So I ended up just starting the level over again and mapping out every single square. Uh, it is on just notebook paper. It's on four pieces of notebook paper. And it's four pieces of full notebook paper for the size of these floors on this mansion. I mean, it's, it is ridiculous. This is the kind of maze I would have written for the original Wizardry or the Bard's Tale. I mean, something I would have played on an old PC role-playing game. This map is ridiculous. Yeah, like you showed it to us at one point, and it, it totally looked like you were mapping out an old school RPG. And this was before I even got to the warehouse. So I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, did you just switch games or something? But no, you get to that point and you realize that this thing is just that large. I mean, it's just not each each section is just one room, right? Like that, it's just one room with four different exits. 
and like you can go up, down, left or right. But as you go through, like you, you just start realizing that, no, it's not just repeating like a lot of NES games did back in the day. And you just have to find the right direction to go, like, you know, up, down and then left and left again. And you reach the elevator. No, this is like a full on maze. And you absolutely would have to map it out. I don't see how it's possible to do if you don't map it out. It's just too big. Well, especially with the second half of that, if it was just get to ice pick, I mean, I did, I wandered and got there and felt pretty good, but then knowing that I missed something, yeah, you've got to map it out. I mean, I guess you get lucky twice or you had hours of your own time uh, or you just looked on game facts, but you got the map, you figured it out. So if you, if you do get through this maze, you get the permit, you get, uh, save your friend CJ. Now you're like, finally, I can get to the part of the game where I'm going to go skateboarding on a ramp or something super cool. Nope. Ending cinematic game over. That's it. You've gotten through all that to, to really not skate at all. I mean, you skate around, but you're not using the skateboard for anything other than than just literally a way to get from point A to point B. You could have played the skating that you wanted to play from the very beginning by pushing select, but no. You went through four of the most irritating levels anyone's ever played to, uh, <laughs> to get to see a cinematic that says, great, now you can skate, which you could have done from the moment you opened the box. And the sad thing is, is like the, the the little skateboarding section that they have in the game is actually decent. Like it's a, a nice little upgrade over the original Skate or Die. And like I was playing that and I was like, damn, if like they had just made this like the original Skate or Die, but with multiple events, like some more events than what the original had, this could be pretty good because it, it felt it was fun to just skate up and down that, that stupid little ramp and try to get a, a higher score. Yeah, no, it's not bad at all. It, and like I said, you can play it from the beginning. It, it's a score challenge, but it actually I mean, makes a lot of sense. I had a lot of fun playing that. Uh, but again, without without a an end goal other than just score, I mean, on its own, that would have been kind of an empty game. You, you would need to do something else. Uh, but I, a one-player action-adventure game uh, about skateboarding and fighting the mayor is not a game that I, <laughs> I did expect. Um, this, I guess, did well enough. Uh, it came out in 1990, uh, the same year that Ski or Die, which is a, you know, kind of a spinoff, came out for the Nintendo and uh, computers. But then they put out two Game Boy sequels, not sequels, but two Game Boy Skate or Die titles the next year. Uh, I had the first one, Skate or Die Bad and Rad, uh, which is another more straightforward 2D action. It's not like this has it's a 2D action game on this, but, you know, you can kind of go up and down the screen a little bit uh, for the Game Boy game. It was literally a side scroller like any other, you know, Contra or Turtles or any of those games that are straightforward side scrolling games. Uh, I remember having really good music, but being incredibly difficult. Uh, but it also was not a skateboarding game. It was another action game where you're on a skateboard. Uh, so they also put out Skater Die Tour de Thrash, which I had never played. That is just a series of ramp challenges and contests. Uh, that looks a lot more like what I expected from even this game uh, from the original Skater Die. So I don't know if you played either of those before, Jeremy. I, I do recommend at least trying Bad and Rad because it is a, a Konami 2D action Game Boy game, but uh, but very, very difficult. I, I looked up Bad and Rad because I, again, like with every other thing after Skater Die, I just never knew it existed. Uh, and so like seeing Bad and Rad, like it looks like a better game than, than Skater Die 2. Uh, but I, it definitely looked very, very unforgiving and, and hard on its own because instead of like the open kind of world of skate or die two, like this is very straightforward. Just get to the end of stage, fight skateboarding bosses and, and, and things like that. It, it looks ridiculous, but it looks like more of a game that I would have probably enjoyed, especially if I bought skate or die two expecting skate or die one. And that wasn't it at all. Now, 
Skate or Die 2, I don't think is a very good game at all. <laughs> I, there's a lot of people out there that have crazy nostalgia for this game and, and like say it's a, a really fun game. I do not like it at all. This is the first time I played it. I guarantee if you stuck anybody, sat anybody down and tried to play it t- these days and with no nostalgia value for it, they'd be like, oh my God, what is this? Um, but it looked like Battenrad was definitely more of an actual just game. And, and I, I think I, I would have probably enjoyed that more than I did Skate or Die 2. Yeah, no, I think it's a better game than this. I, I would like to look at that at some point. Uh, this game, yes, it's it's not a great game. It does do interesting things, which I always like to to try games that at least try to do something unexpected and different. But I think this game missed the part where you do the fun, though, too. It just, it's just it's just different, uh, but absolutely not fun in any way, shape, or form, except for that ramps, which, again, you could play right out of the box. I mean, the story is pretty great. And and the characters are, are also pretty great. I, I enjoyed them as well. Uh, CJ, is that the girl? Yes. She, just Ariel. Just yeah. straight up wholesale fucking stole the picture of Ariel from, from Disney. And, and that's the character. Um, you know, and you're, being, you're the character you play, you know, for a game that is based on you being this ultimate skater, you know, in this crazy place that everyone skates. You look like you came straight out of like a 50s how-to video or something like it you look so just white with the the perfect hair and (laughs) you look the exact opposite of what a skater should be um but i i did actually enjoy the the whole just how ridiculous the story was and and everything about that so yeah i mean if you want to if you want to come for the awesome um intro and and listen to it scream skate or die at you several times and then kind of sit through the maybe the first story where you kill a dog and then go kill a woman (laughs) to get revenge for killing her for her dog. I mean, that's just, it's hilarious in its own way. But uh, sticking around to the end, I'm not sure anyone has that kind of pain level anymore. Yeah, that's it for Skate or Die 2. I guess we're saying stick with Skate or Die 1. Uh, <laughs> but you know what? I'm still glad we played it. Uh, again, I like interesting games, and this definitely delivered on that. Speaking of interesting, I believe we've got some more listener questions. Yeah, it's it's crazy. People actually go to that site that we have, Retrovania.net. They scroll all the way down to the bottom, and there's a contact form there. Uh, now, I know we've said this before, but just in case you're wondering, if you fill out that contact form... Click send. It actually comes to us through the power of the Internet. And uh, we will uh, read it on here as long as it's not too crazy. And uh, this time we're going to start off with Claude Stanley. And he writes in to say, I just enjoyed your latest episode on Rocket Knight. But I was surprised when you guys didn't know why it feels so much like a treasure game or why its sequel, Sparkster, isn't as good. There is, in fact, one very simple answer to both of those questions. And that's because the people that developed Rocket Knight at Konami left to form, you guessed it, treasure. Sparkster was actually done by different people at Konami. I was surprised none of you knew that already. Keep up the good work. I, I did know that Treasure was formed by ex-Konami employees, uh, but I thought that happened before this game came out because uh, their first game was Guardian Heroes, which was 1991, and this would have come out after that. Now, I know that there's definitely going to be some carryover of time. Uh, this could have been something that was made in 1990 and not put out for two years, but I, I tried to find verification of that anywhere and could not. Uh, again, it wouldn't surprise me. I'm not saying that this uh, that that 
this person is wrong. But I, I normally, I, I do a very minimal bit of research, and it's not just Wikipedia. I try to avoid just Wikipedia for these games, and I could find nothing that verified that treasure comment. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually kind of looked this up myself because that was interesting because, you know, it was so much like a treasure game. Yeah, it felt like you were playing a treasure game made by Konami. So that made sense to me. So I was definitely kind of looking it up. And to, from what I could find, I could not see any actual carryover uh, of the um, the developers. And even the designer himself, the, the head designer, he would go on to, to continue to stay at Konami. And he, and he made like a Contra Hard Corps uh, and some more games down the line. So it wasn't like this was like a wholesale the same developers suddenly quit and and went over. I mean, I'm sure there might have been, but I just I couldn't find anything that showed that this was a di- a direct continuation of of those same developers from from uh, this game from Rocket Knight uh, into Treasure. Now, if you have it, uh, like something that verifies that, I would love to see it because it, it that'd be kind of cool. Um, but from what we could find, I, I didn't see see anything. So, I mean, please. Uh, Whatever sources you have, send that in, and and we will gladly look into that. Uh, next up, we've got Dave J, and uh, he's writing in at, with a bad example of a great sound chip. And uh, he says, "Hey there, Retrovaniacs. So, so we all pretty much agree that the Super NES sound chip is capable of some great things, and we've seen plenty of shining examples to prove that point. But can we talk about a title called Biometal? This is what happens when musical direction is in the wrong hands." I'm not kidding when I say that the soundtrack is comprised exclusively of jock jams and high school stands tunes transposed into aggressive, relentless, baffling MIDI garbage. It was worth a good 20-minute look for the novelty alone. Side note, if you decide to try it yourself, maybe use an invincibility cheat because the game is basically unplayable. Love the show, guys, and keep it up. You had told me you'd played this before. I had not even heard of this one, but it looks, you know, looking at it, it's a it's a 2D space shooter i mean you know the kind of game i like but not not one look remarkable but on the box one of the selling points is the the soundtrack so i was i was excited to see why you know how it would be bad and uh it's not it's not that it's terrible other than you can tell it was not written on that chip it was written on something else and then just you know kind of pushed onto it any way they could it sounds awful yeah, like I, full disclosure, I actually rented this game back as as a kid because of that sticker. Uh, I was in, uh, very into uh, Two Unlimited, the band, and right there on that sticker it says uh, it's composed of a bunch of Two Unlimited songs from their first album. So I was like, holy shit! It was that was a big deal back in the day to have actual music in a in a video game. It just didn't happen. So to see that, yes, I totally rented it, even though I wasn't into a shooter, which what is what this game is. Um, and it, they are very, very bad versions of those songs. And it just seems like they maybe didn't try uh, too hard to, to maybe fit those fit those into what the Super NES could do. Because, you know, 2 Unlimited is very, you know, it's techno. It's it's super, super fast beats and, and a whole bunch of other shit going on. And what they did in the Super NES totally does just sound like they ran it through some sort of MIDI uh, sequencer or something, and then they shoved it on there. It just did not sound, it did not do the originals justice at all. Not that any of those are <laughs> what I would call good music these days. It was very much for its time, and it, yes, it was very jock jams because 2 Unlimited was on every jock jam CD ever created, I think. Uh, but yeah, I was into it, rented it. Terrible, terrible. Totally agree there.
Oh, it's so bad. <laughs> okay, next question comes in from Eric Gerbeck, and he's got a great Sega Genesis recommendation. I was listening to the Rocket Knight episode, which started with you all saying there aren't too many Genesis games you covered so far that have good soundtracks. With that in mind, I'd like to request you cover Shin- Shinobi 3 on the Sega Genesis. Not only is the music really good, but it's one of the best 2D action games I've played. Surfboarding on top of missiles, fighting Mechagodzilla, it has it all. I'd recommend a Saturn or Neo Geo game to the crew as well, but I'm not sure what you have access to playing. My question to you would be, do you have any experience playing Saturn or Neo Geo games? And do you have any favorite games from that? Do you have any ways to emulate or directly play any games on those consoles these days for listeners to suggest? Thanks, guys. I love the show, and I hope you keep it going for a long time. Uh, as far as useful ways to emulate those systems, I'm sure they exist. I have not I have not fooled them. I did not own a Neo Geo system because I was not incredibly rich. Uh, but that said, I've played a lot of those games. I mean, they were out not just in the arcades, but uh, all the collections have been put out since. I mean, we've covered... Metal Slug and Magician Lord. I mean, we've covered some some Neo Geo games. So we do have experience. I mean, I think Metal Slug is hands down my favorite set of games in there. But Samurai Showdown, uh, you know, some of the fighting games were good. Uh, as far as Saturn, I mean, I played it. I worked in a store that sold the Saturn. So I got to play, you know, basically everything when it came out. But other than, than a couple, you know, Sega standouts, there really wasn't much on the Saturn that I was excited about. I don't know if you have a lot more experience with the Saturn than I do. I actually do have a Saturn. I, I don't have it hooked up. It's like in storage somewhere. Um, but I, it, it would probably probably be kind of hard for us to do Saturn games unless we all own a Saturn because it is not. It's still to this day very hard to emulate. I, I believe they have a few games that, that that can run decently well, but the way that the Saturn was made is, is kind of a nightmare to to emulate still to this day. Um, but yeah, I love the Saturn. I would love to do a lot of games for it. It's just kind of hard unless we just all have a Saturn. And I don't know if I can convince these guys to go out and spend 60 to 80 bucks to, to get a Saturn. I mean, you can convince me. I have to convince my wife, though. So there's probably a 0% chance on this end. I'm getting <laughs> I'm getting one of those anytime soon. Unless you want to spend money on our Patreon. No, nah, we don't have a Patreon. <laughs> but, uh... So yes, uh, recommend Saturn games so that we can get Jeremy P. divorced uh, ASAP. So, uh, next question comes in from Robert, and his subject is game collecting. Hey guys, thanks for keeping me entertained every other week. I've got a quick question. I was just wondering if any of you are actively collecting classic games or had a collection at some point. Thanks again. I think we've all been, in some ways, game collecting. I don't know, Billy hasn't talked much about his own, what he still has or had in the past as far as, as number of games, but I definitely had, I mean, I built a wall shelf to contain all my game systems, I had everything I'd ever owned. I still have my Intellivision and all those games. I still have my NES and a bunch of games. But uh, I went through, and I've mentioned this before on the show, but I went through a period where I, I had lost my job and I had just had a kid and I was very concerned about money. So I sold a lot of it. And I, I don't regret it because I needed to, to feed my kid and eat and uh, <laughs> myself and also pay my rent. So I, I had to do it. Uh, but man, I wish I didn't have to because I got rid of a, a big chunk of Turbo Graphics games. I got rid of you know my Game Gear, all these things that now I wish I still had. But at the same time, you know, I I did what I had to do. But uh, I, I still collect though now. I mean, I still have, like I said, my Intellivision. I still keep uh, a handful of games for each system that are my favorites, and I do slowly build onto that at this point with a. Uh, with older games, but but I've stopped collecting like I was a, for a while. I was literally like I had, I had a giant shelf. My goal was to get every NES game. Like that was what I wanted to do, and it just it never panned out for me. I think that's what a lot of people do because that's what I did. Like I I was totally into collecting there for for quite a while, 
and then I lost my job. And it comes to, it seems to come down to that's the first thing to go whenever you panic and you're like, oh God, I can't make rent. What do I have that's semi-valuable? And oh, it's a bunch of NES and Super NES and old games that I can just toss up on eBay. And that's totally what I did. I, I think I got rid of about 90% of what I had and uh, regret it to this day, just like you. I, I, I wish I would have just kept those because you know what? I got another job. And I think a lot of people do as well. Uh, you know, if that is something that you definitely kind of come down that you have to choose, then yes, that's what you do because you'll probably be divorced and or, you know, <laughs> lose lose your girlfriend and a lot of respect from from other people because you're hanging on to that collection instead of surviving. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I wish I didn't. As far as these days, I, I, I want to, but I just don't have the room. I would like to collect a, a few kind of weird systems like maybe Turbo Graphics but it's kind of expensive. Um, but eh, eh, I just, I just don't quite have it in me these days. I, I, my brother actually collects, he's, he's pretty hardcore about collecting and I follow him around every now and again. And just, just the whole act of, of going around and, and finding these old games and, and getting excited about being able to find something you didn't expect to find. Uh, that's, that's what's fun to me. And I kind of live through him in that regard because right now I'm just not capable of, of doing it myself. That's one of the things I liked about all the, the mini systems coming out and, and the collections you can buy for, you know, so to legally own these games in other formats. I mean, there's, it's emulation's fine. You know, I'm, I'm not going to argue for or against legality of it, but I mean, just, it's nice to be able to play these games, but I also like to have, you know, as much as the, the PlayStation mini is kind of a turd, it looks pretty. And I, I like having it there, and I'll play Final Fantasy VII on it. I mean, it's it's nice to have these things to to kind of scratch the itch that a full fledged collection, you know, would would definitely do for me. But uh, yeah, it's just it's not happening now, and uh, and apparently I got to pay for college for some kids at some point, so I'm not doing it anytime soon. Um, speaking of mini systems, uh, the game we're going to cover next week is actually on one of the major mini systems and is something that's actually relevant to a recent release that has come out for the Switch. And I'm sure you've already guessed it, but if not, tune in in two weeks when we will have our review. But until then, please find us on Retrovania.net, where along with the most incredible question form, you'll find links to our YouTube channel, our Twitter page, our Instagram, I believe, anything that's Retrovania.net. And we will see you next time.